The following program is brought to you with support from the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University. This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, we unravel the complex ins and outs of the Argentine debt crisis. But before we unwrap all those details, Gabriela Conchola is here with our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Bolivia's incumbent president, Evo Morales, declares victory in the election. The final results will not be in until late October, but a national exit poll places Morales in the lead at 61%. Analysts are convinced that Morales will win due to his high ratings in the polls. The high ratings are likely due to Bolivia's flourishing economy. Last year, a court ruled that he could run for a third term because the country had rewritten its constitution, so his first term did not count toward newly imposed term limits. Morales gave a nationwide address this week, predicting his victory. Thank you, my brothers and sisters, for Bolivia's triumph. The preliminary polls are in, and we are up in every department. Yet we may still be surprised. Morales promises he will not run for a fourth term in 2020. The United States issued a new travel warning for tourists in Mexico. The travel warning suggests that American tourists are targets of criminal activity by encouraging tourists to keep a low profile. The warning states that the U.S. government may not protect Americans traveling to particular regions in Mexico due to travel restrictions placed on United States personnel in those areas. The warning also prohibits government employees from patronizing gambling and adult establishments in Guajilla, Durango, Zacatecas, Aguascalientes, San Luis Potosí, Nuevo León, and Tamaulipas. DNA tests confirmed that the bodies found in mass gravesites in the Mexican state of Guerrero do not belong to a group of missing Mexican students. Mexican authorities have arrested 50 people in connection to the disappearances. Many of those suspects are police officers. 43 education students went missing three weeks ago after a night of protests and violent shootouts. Investigators are carrying out more tests on four other gravesites they have recently discovered. Brazilian police uncovered a huge child pornography network. The online pornography network hid itself in what is called the dark net, a virtual world hidden to most Internet users. Brazilian police arrested 55 people suspected of producing the child pornography. The Brazilian suspect shared the child pornography with five other countries. Only authorities in the United States and Britain have managed to crack into the dark net before now. Women in Latin America are still looking for a little respect. The Gallup polling agency says women in the region get the least respect in the world. Gallup polled adult attitudes toward women in 150 countries worldwide. And for the second year in a row, Latin American women fell behind women in the Middle East and North Africa. Gallup's poll says women get the least respect in Peru and Colombia, where Uruguay and Ecuador get high marks. For Latin Pulse, I'm Gabriela Canchola. Thanks, Gabriella. 
Our shout-out this week goes to our listeners in Romania. Yes, Romania. Behind the U.S. and Brazil, listeners in Romania were one of our biggest groups this past month. And so we say, Valmuchi Mesk. Now, on to our program with a special emphasis this week on Argentina and its debt crisis. Regular listeners may recall, a few weeks back, we offered a primer on how the debt crisis returned this summer. This week, we have two in-depth interviews that analyze the greater repercussions of the fight over Argentine debt. This week, Argentina's attorneys met with a special mediator over the country's debt, but refused to negotiate. The next round in that legal battle may resume again early next year. So by way of explanation for these complex financial matters, we start with Peter Schechter, the director of the Adrian Arsht Latin America Center of the Atlantic Council in Washington, D.C. We spoke with him via long-distance line. The issue is tremendously complex, and it's uh, so hard to pull apart. It feels a little bit like, you know, you're peeling an onion, you think you've understood it, and then you just get to the next uh, 20,000 layers that are under it. I mean, essentially what we have is a, a country that has a long history of financial problems and some and a long history of payment problems, um, actually having done a deal with 97.5% of its creditors, and the holdout creditors have found now a way in which to make the deal impossible, because the holdout creditors, that last remaining 25 to 3% of the creditors, believe they should be paid in full. And so what that has done is it has created a financial mess in which, for some reason or another, some, a New York judge feels that he has standing to rule on this, um, and it has created a real mess, and, a, and a, it's now moving into becoming a foreign policy problem for the Obama administration. It's a real problem for the uh, vast majority of creditors who uh, cannot get their money because these last remaining 2.5% of creditors uh, have put a uh, basically a stick in the in the bicycle spoke so it's it, it's a serious issue now i'm sure the investors in those particular funds would would um, characterize that that word vulture fund as 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 something that, that that they are not but that is how the argentine government um puts that label on them um and they have been very aggressive i, I believe that there was an incident a year two years ago where they actually impounded an Argentine Navy training ship in Africa um, to help with some of the repayments. That, that's right. And, and, and just, I think it's worth saying that the word vulture fund is not an Argentine invention. I mean, it, it has been around for, I'm not sure who, I'm not sure who coined the phrase, but it's certainly been around for 10 or 12 years. Uh, these, these funds, basically what they do is they pick up uh, problematic debt on pennies to the dollar and then go to court to force countries to pay the full dollar amount. And what they do is they, just like they did with Argentina and the Argentine ship in Africa, but they've done the same thing with uh, airplanes belonging to African countries uh, and other properties belonging to sovereign nations. Um, and so, you know, that's why they've got the name vulture funds, because they're basically picking picking at problems that are, um, you know, in very bad shape. So, You mentioned Judge Thomas Griesa in New York, who has 
uh, involved himself with with the rulings on this and and is the judge who recently found Argentina in contempt of of court in his rulings. Um, can you explain to us why a U.S. judge has anything to do with with Argentina when it comes to financial matters? Rick, I, I can't explain it because I, I it is beyond me why a uh, U.S. judge would find that he has jurisdiction over a what is essentially a private matter. I mean, the, the Argentine government has done a deal with the majority of its creditors, the overwhelming majority of its creditors, and yet a U.S. judge finds that that deal is insufficient uh, because a small, very small percentage of its creditors uh, object to it. I, I I worry about this from a much broader perspective, because what it does is it chases away um, other sovereign nations and other companies that want to float bonds on in New York, and it chases them to London. I mean, this makes this makes you know London is the other financial center, and what this does is it makes New York consistently suspect that if there's a problem. The, U, the very strange U.S. legal system, which thinks it simply has jurisdiction over every walk of life, will get involved and create some strange precedent. So we have seen, not only because of this Argentine case, but we have seen a slow march away from New York and into London to do deals. And that is a real problem for our economy, for New York's preeminence as a major financial center. So this has, this has broader ramifications rather than just the analysis of to whether the judge has jurisdiction or not. I mean, this is, this is going to have real economic repercussions. Well, let me talk about that a little bit in that we've seen in the last few months George Soros, who is quite a force financially, internationally, um, get involved and, and try to shore up investment in Argentina and come in actually on the Argentine side. So we do see big U.S. investors who are, are trying to fight against this. But But what you're saying is the trend may be away from this and may not just be hurting U.S. investment in Argentina, but but also investment in Latin America, then I would guess. Well, I mean, I, I don't know that it hurts U.S. direct investment in Latin America. I mean, what it does is it, it puts into play the issue as to whether New York is the world's financial hub, as it has been for the last uh, 40 or 50 years. And, you know, it makes London look a lot more attractive to people to, you know, where, where does one float bonds, where does one go to float debt, et cetera, et cetera, is rather than going to New York, they're going to go to other financial centers, London foremost among them, uh, because they just, everybody fears this U.S. legal system, which is just so permissive about jurisdiction. I mean, it's hard to explain why a judge would think that he has jurisdiction, but there you go. That's, that's, um, so I think I think it puts into play a, a lot of issues. I, I'm not sure. I think Argentina, just on to answer your question, Rick, which is a good one, which is I'm not sure that Argentina is symbolic of what's going on in the rest of Latin America. I think the rest of Latin America is actually a very attractive play right now for most investors. If you look at what's happening in Mexico or Colombia or Peru, these are places which have um, actually quite stellar economies, and they're doing pretty amazing things with reforming their economies to make them more welcoming to a globalized world. What solutions do you see, if any, 
for this particular Argentine problem? You know, I was on a TV show the other day with people who are far more uh, experienced at financial management than I am, and I'll tell you that people are stumped. I mean, there's one idea in which the Argentine, Argentina would take back the money and pay everybody in a, an acceptable exchange rate of Argentine pesos. Um, in Argentina, as opposed to paying them in New York, and therefore the those creditors that have agreed to the deal would then get paid in Argentina at at a peso in in pesos, but at an exchange rate which would be acceptable. You know, people have floated that idea. I think it's it may be very difficult to do given legal restrictions of what these um, of what these funds can take. Um, so, uh, you know, pe- people who are much more experienced and knowledgeable about finance than I do are pretty stumped. Argentina has moved recently to move hundreds of millions of dollars um, in pesos uh, to Argentine bank accounts to possibly use that as that particular solution. Is the Obama administration trying to find a way to ameliorate this? Are they as stumped as anyone else? Uh, I think they are as stumped as anyone else uh, because there's really no good solution. Uh, the Obama administration, you know, I think from a foreign policy point of view, there are a couple of things crop up. One is it is in the interest, obviously, of economic uh, in economic management to not allow New York's reputation as the world's financial marketplace to be degraded. And so uh, I think the Treasury Department and the State Department are worried about that. I also think that in a time in which um, a lot of people in the Obama administration have quite a bit of admiration for what is happening in Latin America, this issue is um, uh, one of the dominant stories about U.S.-Latin American relations uh, at a time when they would like dominant stories to be much more positive, because there's a lot of good stories that are going on about what the U.S. is doing in Latin America these days that are much more positive. Uh, and yet this Argentine story, which is not has not been created by the Obama administration, but rather by a judge in New York, is, is, uh, is really muddying the waters of a, a lot of good stuff that's happening between uh, between the U.S. and the region. You mentioned Mexico, Colombia, Peru. You, you might argue about the um, particular political and economic policies of Peru, but Mexico and Colombia having much more conservative governments um, vis-a-vis the government of President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner in Argentina. Is this also an issue about um, the progressive left in Argentina and how they approach economies compared to the other countries in Latin America? As, as I said at the beginning of the program, Argentina has had, a, unfortunately, a long history of economic management, which has really not done very well for the country. I mean, by any objective standards, Argentina is a country that is less rich, less educated, less middle class than it was 40 or 50 uh, years ago. And um, you know, that's the fault of a string of Argentine governments that have gotten it wrong economically. So, and I think, and I think Mrs. Kirchner's uh, government is certainly one of those that have gotten it wrong. I think uh, after after. For uh, after eight years of, of, of the Kirchner government, uh, you know Argentina is not better off today than it was before. Um, you know there is a there is certainly a split in Latin America between what is the progressive left 
uh, view, you know, that's embodied by former President Chavez and now President Maduro of Venezuela, the president of Ecuador, the president of Bolivia, the president of Nicaragua, um, versus a much more, I wouldn't call it conservative, I would call it a much more globalized view, I mean, of the president of Mexico, the president of Colombia, uh, certainly, the, you know, in Chile, um, also, of, of countries that believe that the future is a globalized future and that they have to be competitive uh, in that globalized future. And they've opened up their countries to competition and to, uh, and to efficiency that in ways that uh, these leftist governments have not. Peter Schechter, the director of the Adrian Arsht Latin America Center of the Atlantic Council, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rick, for having me. Just some notes on the particulars of jurisdiction and U.S. courts regarding Argentina. U.S. courts retained jurisdiction because Argentine bonds were issued in dollars and were managed by banks in New York. Although the Argentine government has chafed at that jurisdiction and threatened to go to international bodies with appeals, so far the Argentines have been unsuccessful with appeals in the U.S. court system. The U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear the Argentine government's appeal this summer. That refusal triggered this latest round in the debt crisis. Coming up, we'll have more analysis and explanations about why Argentine debt is important to both the U.S. legal system and the U.S. financial system. Stay with us. This planet we call Earth, abundant with new food, new cures, new life, an amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. Call for your free World Wildlife Fund Action Kit with 10 simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call 1-800-C-A-L-L-W-W-F. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. A few weeks back, Leslie Armijo of Portland State's Hatfield School of Government explained to our listeners about the origins of the Argentine debt crisis. Although the first default happened in 2001, the cause was an accumulation of problems related to Argentine economic policy. The country defaulted on $93 billion in bonds. Since that time, wrangling with a small but powerful group of hedge funds caused a second default this summer, when Argentina was ordered to make payments by New York judge Thomas Criesa. Here's the second part of our interview with Professor Armijo, recorded via Skype from Portland, Oregon. The two pieces of the bottom line for Argentina are, one, everybody keeps predicting the sky is falling, and so far it hasn't fallen. It's been, you know, going on 15 years. Um, now that doesn't mean it's not going to fall, but so far it hasn't. Even what, 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 though, what would happen if the sky fell? What does well, that actually mean? It means that Argentina suddenly can't do business in the world and can't borrow from anyone. Now, you know, in this in this recent situation, the Chinese are are coming to the rescue or at least saying they might enough so that people um, think that 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 Argentina still has options. The Venezuelans came to the rescue before. Um, It's all you know, financial markets are a lot about what everybody thinks is going to happen. Sometimes you don't have to do anything. It's about what people think is going to happen. Um, 
And also, you know, the, the Argentine government has done some sort of shady things in terms of domestic finances. Christina fired the central bank president because she wanted to, a couple of years ago, she wanted to use um, uh, foreign exchange reserves to prepay uh, some of the other debt. And the central bank president said, no, you can't do that. She said, well, I'm firing you and, and, and did. I mean, there will, this will go on and on in terms of Argentina. Um, I, I don't think it's going to crash in the near future. I could be wrong. I don't think so. Both, for, both because Argentina has enough uh, resources in its corner and also because this has become sort of a cause celeb for a lot of other people around the uh, institutions and people around the world. This shows the problems when when the dollar is the primary currency in the world, that maybe there should be openings for other currencies. I mean, the whole thing, uh, the whole uh, piece to keep in mind when you're talking about international financial markets is there's no world government. So a lot of this is is government by national jurisdictions, which is ultimately going to lead us to the third point, because the U.S. has the most significant financial markets. And so a lot of the the law that ends up being the law for the whole world is U.S. financial law, which sometimes can be idiosyncratic. And a lot of people believe, in fact, that even according to U.S. law, Judge Griese's decisions um, are idiosyncratic and that he went beyond his authority. But, you know, that's what judges do. They interpret the law. We have a case law system. So they can they can interpret it. And um, a number of uh, legal experts are upset that he went after third parties, that is the Bank of New York Mellon. All right. OK, so here's the here's the deal about the dollar. Um, the United States dollar is the linchpin for the global economy. Full stop. And, and that has been true for um, more than 50 years, you know, since the end of the Second World War at the very least, and you could easily extend it back further. And what you're um, saying is that this case reveals that maybe the dollar shouldn't be. I'm, I would not say that. What it, what it reveals is that there are, there are costs and benefits from this kind of system. I clearly, I think there is no alternative to the dollar being the linchpin at the moment. There, there is no alternative. Um, and a move to a system that some people see coming. And I would say, you know, depending on how long it's going to be, eventually it will come of, uh, say, the dollar, the euro, and the Chinese renminbi somehow sharing reserve currency status or major currency status um, is not necessarily going to be a good thing. I mean, it's much more unstable. There's all kinds of problems. So I'm not, I am neither saying that it's a bad thing for the world to have the dollar be the major reserve currency, nor am I saying that the dollar is inevitably undermined. What I am, what I would say is that the dollar's role as the major reserve currency and the major transaction currency is resting on shakier foundations than it did before. 
before, meaning uh, in the 50s, and that cases like this tend to weaken the dollar's international role. And, and that, you know, government officials and intellectuals in places like Argentina, on the one hand, might be inclined to cheer. Um, I think that probably if they knew what would, what would happen, they, they wouldn't. I mean, it, the, the consequences for global trade and so on can, are probably extremely um, destabilizing. But here's, here's how this affects the role of the dollar. First of all, understand that with the dollar having a central role in the global economy, this does give the U.S. privileges. One of the things that this means is that any borrowing anybody in the U.S. does is in dollars. And so uh, there's never, you don't have to worry about an exchange risk when you're trying to think about paying your money back. You earn in dollars, you owe in dollars. Great. Um, more to the point, the U.S. government at some level can issue um, a lot of extra dollars because people around the world want to hold them. So in essence, the U.S. economy is able to consume, it's really, it's technically called absorption, but consume more than, than we should. That, I mean, this is the counterpart of our trade deficit. Because people wanted to hold dollars. At this point in time, the U.S. is not the world's creditor anymore. In fact, the Chinese are doing you know, are extending more net credit abroad than we are. They're the ones that have the money. We have a trade deficit and a current account deficit, but we still have the largest economy and we have the largest financial system. We have the most powerful, largest uh, financial system in the world some enormous percentage of global financial transactions go through U.S. banks, uh, stock markets, uh, brokers, etc., etc. This is important to the U.S. Uh, trade balance because we export financial services. That is when people come and when Argentina uses um, American banks, this is an export of financial services, the, the money they pay, that helps our trade balance. Um, and, it, and it keeps the U.S., it is, is an important support of this, of this whole structure that keeps the dollar as the, as the world's reserve currency. But if countries or individuals, but in this case, let's talk about countries, conclude that it's not a good idea to do things with U.S. financial institutions because you might get subject to uh, idiosyncratic judgments by cranky New York judges, then they will try to find alternatives. There are not that many alternatives right now, but there are certainly other financial centers in London um, and in um Geneva and increasingly in the Far East, in Singapore, whatever. Now, they can't compete with the U.S. at the moment. But, but the worry is that every little chink means countries want to move their money. Um, but in the long run, the most important implication of this is the fact that it, in some small way, incremental way, 
undercuts the attractiveness of U.S. financial markets and thereby undercuts the attractiveness of the whole global system centered on the dollar as the reserve currency. Meanwhile, countries against which the U.S. government has uh, uh, some, some uh, animus, countries like Iran or Russia, uh, are, of course, trying to avoid having any of their financial assets in U.S. markets because they don't want uh, them frozen. But we don't, we don't have any foreign policy quarrel with Argentina at the moment. This is purely a case of U.S. financial law and sort of its unintended consequences. Thank you so much, Professor Leslie Armijo of the Hatfield School of Government, Portland State University in Oregon. Join us via Skype from Oregon. Thanks for being our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thank you very much, Ray. That concludes our program on the Argentine debt crisis. If you're looking for earlier editions of our program, Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Flipboard. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Mini Mundos. If you'd like to comment on this program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse for our entire team, producer Jim Singer and associate producer Gabriela Canchola. I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchenos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support from Webster University and through the support of Link TV. This program is copyright 2014, Los Rocas Productions. The preceding program was brought to you with the support of the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University.